Well, good morning to each of you and want to say thank you so much for joining us as we continue to study through the book of Revelation in a series entitled Hope in a Hopeless World. If you have your Bibles with you, let's go ahead and go to Revelation chapter 20 together. As uh, this morning, we're going to talk about what is um, often considered a a difficult topic uh, to discuss and and to teach on, uh, but nevertheless, it is something very important uh, for us to study. A pastor once said, quote, one of the saddest things that's happened in pulpits across America is that preaching on hell has almost vanished and no one even noticed. We often relate natural disasters or unpleasant things in this life as, quote-unquote, hell. You know, things like a hurricane in Haiti or mass shootings in, in schools or you know, a dive in the stock market or someone who's uh, very sick, things like this, you know, we, we oh, well, this is hell. I believe that when things like that happen, Satan actually rejoices uh, because he has once again convinced people to water down the Bible or to misunderstand it. While preaching on hell isn't, you know, the funnest topic in the world, I believe it's one of the most important topics that we can teach on. It's important because Jesus spoke of hell much more often than he taught on heaven. It's important because it can help the saved rejoice over what God has saved us from, uh, even though we don't deserve God's grace. The one thing that should never happen in a pulpit or a conversation is this. We should never try to manipulate a person's emotions or scare them into accepting the gospel. God's not honored by that, and many times when those tactics are used, the people may make a a quote-unquote profession of faith, but it's based on fear, not faith. And therefore, most likely they remain lost in their sin, yet now they have this false assurance of being saved. Therefore, today we're going to talk about an uncomfortable topic, but my hope is by the end of this message, We're going to feel both the conviction and joy. We're going to have a proper understanding of what is really coming in the future. The one big thing for the morning is that the doctrine of hell should spur us to examine our heart and to faithfully share the gospel. So let's look at it. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11 It says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
Would you pray with me? Fathers, we begin this time of studying your word. Uh, Lord, this is uh, sometimes a very difficult topic because we we always want to believe that people are going to go to heaven, but the reality is, as your scriptures show us over and over and over, is, is that, that's not going to be the case. Not everyone is going to be saved. Not everyone is going to surrender to the gospel. Father, we don't know who will and who won't. Our calling is to faithfully share the gospel with those that we meet, trusting that you are going to convict and draw and save some by your grace. So Lord, as we study this topic of the lake of fire, the the final eternal destination of those who have rejected you, Lord, I pray that we would have a desire to number one, know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we have been saved, but also a greater desire to share the gospel with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, the doctrine of hell should spur us to examine our heart and to faithfully share the gospel. Now, I'm not going to go too far down this road, but uh, you know, when we talk about hell and the lake of fire, a lot of people consider them the same thing, but they're not. And, and we see it really in the passage where it says death and hell were cast into. Uh, this lake of fire, this is the final judgment of all unrepentant sinners uh, who have rejected the gospel. And so what does the great white throne judgment show us? in this text. Well, the first thing it shows us is that unbelievers will stand before God. The throne that John sees is white. Uh, White in scripture symbolizes purity and holiness. Therefore, the one who is sitting on the throne is holy and impure, and he's judging based on his holiness. As we look there at the opening of verse 12, It tells us who is standing before this holy God. John said, I saw the dead. Now, a believer is not referenced as being dead. Because when Jesus saved us, he took us from death into life. We were dead, Paul says, in our sins and transgressions. But God has raised us to life just as Jesus was raised to life. So we can know with absolute certainty who is standing before God at this time. It is the unsaved. This is further seen in verse 13 when it mentions that the dead were uh, standing before uh, God there and they're going to be judged based on their works. You know, a, a popular phrase in our culture is, well, you can't judge me. That may be true between you and I. But we have to understand, and this is true for both believers and non-believers. One day we will all stand before God and we will be judged. The great white throne judgment also shows us why the cross was necessary. What's the basis of this judgment? It's found in verses 12 and 13, the books, plural. There in verse Verse 12, it's talking about the the account of every word. 
every action, every thought that a person's had. As Jesus reminds us in the Gospel of Luke, nothing will remain hidden that won't be exposed. And now that day of exposure has come. There's going to be no hiding the truth anymore. In both verses 12 and 13, we see uh, those standing here at this great white throne will be judged according to their works. And while many people may try to console themselves by thinking, well, I'm not that bad. Or, you know, I, I'm, I'm not great, but I'm not as bad as, uh, you know, that person over there. The standard of judgment being used isn't other people. The standard is the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. At the great white throne judgment, I imagine the words of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians may ring in some people's ears. Paul says, For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, they, they are standing before God based on their own righteousness, not Christ's. For those here this morning who believe that they can be good enough or do enough good to get into heaven, I hope you're going to listen to what Paul says in his message to the church at Galatia. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, Paul says, For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If you and I could save ourselves, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come to this earth and die on the cross. The fact that Jesus left the glory of heaven to come to the earth he created and to die on that cross and to rise from the dead proves that you and I cannot be saved by ourselves. It's our works that make the cross necessary. It's our words that make the cross necessary. It's our thoughts that make the cross necessary. By our works, no man will be justified, Paul says in Romans 3.20 and Galatians 2.16. You know, even... A lot of times people think, oh, I go to church and all this. But listen to what Isaiah 64, 4 through 6 says. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Isaiah says that even uh, when we do good, you know, our quote-unquote acts of righteousness... They're still filthy and unclean in light of the sin and the rebellion that we have done against God. My sin and rebellion against God is so bad that no amount of good works could ever come close to offsetting my sin account. So it's because of me that the cross 
is necessary. But the great white throne judgment also shows us that the gospel is the only way to be saved. It's the ultimate evidence that trusting in the gospel is the only way to be saved. It's the exclusivity of the gospel. This has been the message of the Bible from the very beginning. There's only one way a person can be saved. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This uh, gospel message was promised in Genesis 3 and repeated throughout scriptures. Uh, The book of life here in our text mentioned, it's called another book. It means it's altogether different from the previous books that were mentioned. What's in those books is what condemns us. Our name in the book of life is what justifies us. It's the evidence that God has saved us. Now, how do we know that? Because of what it says in verse 15, whosoever's name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. See, if your name isn't in the book of life, then you're still dead in your sins. And if you're still dead in your sins, you are running the risk of being judged based on your righteousness instead of Jesus's. And so the gospel urges, pleads with those who are far from God to turn from your sin today. In His grace, God is allowing us to hear the hope of the gospel. In His love, He is calling out to you to surrender to His grace, to turn from your sin, and to be saved today. It's not too late. You haven't gone too far. I know Satan loves to to whisper those lies into your ears, but they're not true. As long as there's breath in the body, there's hope for the soul. But don't delay. Because we don't know how many more breaths we have in, in this life. And when it's over, so is your opportunity to repent of your sin and be saved. You may not like to think about hell. You may not even want to believe that hell or the lake of fire exists. Yet our thoughts, they don't change reality. And so I just want to ask you this morning, what's keeping you from surrendering your heart and your life to Jesus? Is what you're living for worth dying for and spending all of eternity separated from God in a literal lake of fire? But church, the message for you and I this morning, number one is to praise God that we have passed from death to life. And it's because of the gospel. We should praise God for our salvation every single day because God didn't have to. But church, it also has to spur us to be faithful in sharing the gospel. Who is your one? Who is the one you're praying for? Asking God, even crying out to God for a chance to share the gospel with them that they might be saved. 
Church, we, we have to realize that the church is God's plan A for world evangelization, and there is no plan B. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, Awake to righteousness, or right living, and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Paul had spent the first 12 chapters trying to correct the sinful habits and practices of the Corinthian church. While they were fighting with each other and sowing division and discord in the church, taking advantage of each other, living in unconfessed sin, Paul says there are people right outside your door, basically, who are dying having never heard the message of the gospel. He says, I'm saying that to your shame. We may want to blame the world for the condition that the world is in, but Paul lays it at the church's doorstep. The church gets mad when the world acts like they're lost. But let me ask you, ask us a question. Why do we get upset when the lost act like they're lost, but we don't seem to get too upset or bent out of shape when the saved live like they're lost? Paul says, wake up. Stop living in sin. Get out there. Share the gospel with the city. We are called to make disciples of all nations, and part of the way that we do that is we share the gospel. And it's not us who saves anybody. It's God. He's using our faithfulness and sharing the gospel to fulfill his promise to save some. What's it going to take for us to finally wake up? While we're busy fighting over music style and other personal preferences, people aren't hearing the only message that can save them and give them hope. Something has to change. And it's us. If Paul was the pastor of Westlake Baptist instead of me, and he was preaching to us today, would he say the same things to us that he wrote to the Corinthian church? If so, then the call for the saved here is to repent of our disobedience, cry out for God to help us be faithful to him, and to cry out for those who are far from him. How will we respond to today's message? Will we agree with it, but then continue living the same way we've always lived? Or will we agree with it and go, Father, forgive me. Help me to live for your glory. Help me to be faithful to you in my calling.
Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together? Lord God, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Lord, it is uncomfortable when we talk about hell, but it is a reality. We know it's a reality because you taught that it is. Forgive us for not taking it seriously. Forgive us for focusing on ourselves and our own personal happiness more than your holiness, more than our calling to be faithful witnesses to you. Lord God, we pray for those here this morning who have never turned in faith. They've never received the hope of the gospel. God, we pray that today would be that day. And I pray for my my brothers and my sisters. God, we would be challenged that we would desire to see more people saved. And so we commit ourselves to faithfulness to you. Lord, just asking you to use us for your glory and for the building up of your kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.